Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Susie Russell. So having completed her PhD in sport and exercise science, Susie has now become a postdoctoral research fellow investigating mental fatigue and recovery at the Sprint Research Centre at the Australian Catholic University. There she partners up with the Australian Institute of Sport and that makes her the perfect guest today to discuss how you can manage mental fatigue in sport. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Susie onto the show. So Susie, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm an Australian-based sort of sports science researcher and get to spend the majority of my time in sunny Brisbane, which is pretty fortunate for those that have visited the place. Uh, actually born in the UK and spent a bit of my time uh, moving between the two as I grew up. So apologies if my hybrid accent comes out a bit as I talk with you, but uh, my journey into sports science sort of started with um, just a Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science at the University of Queensland um, and really undertook some sort of physiology and performance analyst roles, applied roles following that before sort of deciding a PhD was the next progression for me, uh, where I got the opportunity to undertake that at the University of Queensland as well, which really talked about the topic which we're talking about today, which is mental fatigue in elite sport. And that was in collaboration with the Queensland Academy of Sport and also Netball Australia, so a national organisation based over here. And had a couple of applied roles along the way um, as performance analysts, which led some really nice applied projects and learnings that we were able to take from that. And following that briefly, sort of explored myself into a bit more unknown territory with uh, managing a rugby-specific mental health program and also working for a, a leading sports tech company. And feel a bit like I've sort of landed on my feet at the moment um, as a postdoctoral research fellow, which is a very long way of saying full-time researcher um, at the Australian Catholic University uh, within the Sprint Research Centre, uh, which is funded in, in partnership with the Australian Institute of Sport and more recently Queensland Academy of Sport have also come on board to extend that for a little longer. So my primary interest and research focus is really optimizing training and competition practices in our elite athletes with real specific attention based on that mental fatigue and mental recovery. I think that the mental side of it is really interesting right so um, obviously that's getting far more attention and rightly so in sport but can you take us through what mental fatigue is and why it's important? Sure. Always good to try and, I guess, define what we're talking about and around this topic that's of, of particular importance. And I think when we think about mental fatigue, it's important for everyone to acknowledge that we're thinking about it as another aspect of fatigue. So we might be more familiar and open to having conversations with sports scientists or physical performance um, space in terms of talking about you know, neuromuscular fatigue or biomechanical fatigue or fatigue energy imbalance that our dietitians might manage but um, mental fatigue is basically just another aspect that's important and we should be considering and the textbook definition I guess as we run through it is a psychobiological state induced by prolonged periods of demanding cognitive activity but to sort of break that down as to what it really means for our everyday listener uh, it's psychobiological so it has psychological and biological or physical component to it so it's not one or the other it in, incorporates both and 
when we talk about a prolonged period, got quite fluffy terms in this definition, you tend to be looking at somewhere um, between 30 and 90 minutes based off the lab-based research. And it's a task or an activity that an individual finds cognitively demanding. So we're basically an activity that might target a cognitive domain. So things like um, sustained attention, response inhibition, they might be sort of semi-familiar terms to people. But what's actually cognitively demanding to one person is probably going to be influenced based on their experiences, their occupational demand, potentially genetics, training history, these type of things. Um, so it's a period that they're doing something for a long time that feels cognitively demanding to them. And I think the best way to sort of explain it to the layperson or the, the average office worker, for example, is the difference you feel when you, you know, go for a run, when you're feeling mentally fresh and really good um, versus trying to drag yourself around the same intensity or the same distance after a really long day of, of work or thinking about something that's really cognitively and emotionally consuming for you. And there you sort of might experience greater perception of effort or see an impact on your performance. And that's kind of the, the mental fatigue that we're talking about. And how, how does that then differ from mental fatigue, which is, because you said in the definition, long duration, but what about days and weeks? Is that is that then particularly different? Does it have different uh, effects psychologically, biologically? Or is that kind of the same thing, which is just prolonged over a longer period of time? Yeah, it's a really good question and something that we're still sort of, I guess, looking at and really determining around timeframes of mental fatigue, in a even in a uh, core lab based science setting at the moment so I think what you're sort of talking about is when you have a repeated exposure to that acute mental fatigue you might start to see a reduce in tolerance or we might have a you know reduce in the threshold that we can experience in terms of cognitive demand because we're already in a fatigued state much like we see with other types of fatigue so that can then become a repetitive or prolonged experience for that individual which can feel like under a state of constant fatigue as a result um, of not recovering well or bouncing back from the last fatiguing activity. Okay, so when when it comes to how athletes then experience this, like how do they, yeah, how do they feel? How do you know that this fatigue is um, is yeah uh, in in your body in your mind? How how do you experience that as a human being in in a sporting setting? Yeah, there's another. Um, Really good question and really important thing and something that we sort of look to address when I, when I started my PhD because we have, and I think it's important to actually, actually acknowledge that a lot of the information that we have about mental fatigue comes from other areas outside sport. So things like um, neuroergonomics, transport safety, uh, lab, you know, traditional lab-based research in sort of mental fatigue and exercise. And it seems like this idea of mental fatigue in sport to some might be new but actually we're sort of applying a lot of principles that we have that would indicate outside of sport um, subjective changes behavioral changes like an increased reaction time or decreased response accuracy um, some physiological changes mostly with tools that we don't really have access to in sport um, might indicate mental fatigue so it's a bit of a challenge to understand how athletes might actually experience it so we did actually do a, do a study that told us and we asked athletes, elite athletes and elite uh, performance staff, their perceptions and understanding of it. And some of those sort of identifiers and signs of symptoms, in addition to those traditional ones that I've mentioned, are really spotting a change in behaviour of our athletes. You might have decreased attention to detail, 
disengagement um, in their training or disengagement with other members of the group, um, increased withdrawal and increased reactivity or emotional responses, for example. And the key indicator, I guess, is maybe a change in perception of effort when they have the same um, physiological output. So they feel like the work that they're doing is harder, even when they haven't actually done that much more. I think uh, that's a, a pretty easy one to measure as well, right? Because most people, or most well, scientists at least, are probably taking uh, rate of perceived exertion after a training session, um, whether they split that up into smaller um, smaller parts, uh, for example, the, the mental uh, RPE or the physical RPE, uh, that's, that's then, of course, up to them. But you can, uh, you can use that data, of course, to look at what kind of fatigue people are experiencing and monitor that over time. So it's definitely something that we can um, measure and therefore um, do some kind of intervention potentially. But if, they're, if athletes are then experiencing this and potentially you can then measure that, what are the consequences for those athletes? Like what, what happens to them and how do they then uh, start to come out and, and deal with that? Yeah, so I think we do now have some evidence with a, a lot of research that's happened. You know, there's been a, a boom in the last three to four years around this area that the athletes do experience uh, mental fatigue during competition and training. Like sport is cognitively demanding, um, which is unsurprising really to think about, but we don't always um, always address that first head on. Um, but we know that, you know, a match might be mentally fatiguing, training might be mentally fatiguing. And the influence that that mental fatigue can have has been really quite well researched, again, in a lab-based setting, but also actually, again, over the last five years or so with some applied at least tests or um, elite athletes or, or semi-professional athletes. And we see an influence on physical performance, technical, tactical, um, psychomotor, and also, as I said, RP are psychological aspects of performance. And to give you a few examples, it's kind of hard to cover off everything that we we do see impacted but cycling time time trial performance um, and time to exhaustion 3k 5k running performance um, common tests like the beep test yo-yo intermittent recovery um, increased session rpe during a resistance training set when mentally fatigued we've got um, 1500 meter swimming um, study soccer passing accuracy shooting accuracy this idea of a speed accuracy trade-off as a result of mental fatigue um, things in small-sided games like lower positive involvements, less successful tackles and ball control errors happening, uh, reduced basketball free throw. We've even got studies in table tennis and for Australians, AFL kicking accuracy being shown to be influenced. Um, and more recently, actually, also a little bit of research which is really interesting about the impact on neurocognitive functional performance tests and the risk of falls. And that list kind of just goes on, on and on. Um, and also, when you think about um, outside the sporting context that we have evidence that shows us we have a reduced intention to exercise or to perform physical exertion, might relate a bit to, you know, the intensity that athletes might turn up to training with and, and this concept that people throw around about, oh, they're just not with it today or they're going through the motions, and we might see a bit of an impact um, there as well. So I always think about it that, you know, we do a lot of things to try and manage or maximise our physical performance, our technical performance, our tactical performance um, and psychological aspects. But mental fatigue isn't always as well considered as, as it could be um, when there's a fair bit of evidence building up now to show there are differences that can occur when, when athletes are mentally fatigued. Um, 
And certainly we need to do more work to look at that in the competition setting, but it's sort of showing its importance over the last couple of years. Is, is it then some kind of uh, like an umbrella or maybe a, you could see it as a, a ceiling and a floor that you could uh, potentially with an, an improvement in your mental fatigue, so being less fatigued, uh, you can sustain higher outputs for longer. That That, that is just a huge, um, yeah, you can raise the floor, you can raise the ceiling to uh, performance itself and if you if you fail to do that potentially then you're just not going to get the best out of your athlete like it, it seems like it affects everything is that correct yeah it, it affects a lot of things that's for sure and I think that's why I guess I as a researcher find it so interesting that we struggled to translate it across into our sort of day-to-day sports science practice and that's not to say some people don't actually manage it really well with their athletes but I'd say the majority of people don't feel confident in managing it and don't feel very knowledgeable about it um but it is something that can influence a lot of areas that we know are um I guess contributors to performance outcome and sport is separated by such small margins now that you should be looking at lots of different ways and and newer and novel ways to try and um, enhance our athletes performance. So when uh, when athletes are mentally fatigued um, and we want to then uh, yeah give them the best chance of, of getting out of that uh, that state of fatigue, what can athletes do themselves? And I want to get onto staff in a minute, but like what can athletes do to improve mental fatigue when it is present? Yeah, and this this is a really good question because you know everything with sport, it's like oh great, the research tells us it's bad, but what what can we actually do about it? I want a strategy that's going to work with my athlete, and I completely understand uh, that perspective, and and then the need to have a, a change or an outcome that we can see happen. And the good news is that with mental fatigue and and recovery, we sort of have a number of strategies which are emerging or being explored in the application either prior to during or, or following uh, to mitigate or potentially reduce the impact of mental fatigue. I really like to look at and, and encourage practitioners to think about as not necessarily just mitigating man- mental fatigue but managing mental fatigue. So we're not just trying to acutely reduce the effects of it, um, but it should be managed like many other factors in sport um, do. So we might want to, as you were saying before, build a, build a tolerance to potentially cope with mental fatigue. So there's actually a... Um, for those who, who like a good read of a systematic review, I'll give you a bit of a summary of the findings, but there's a really good, um, really recently re- released one by a really established group in the area from Belgium around all the different um, strategies to combat mental fatigue. And they come from lab-based research mostly, so I sort of caveat this with saying it's not necessarily done with athletic populations in a sort of N equals 1 or in a training environment setting. But the number one thing that we know can help us mitigate mental fatigue is is caffeine and probably why a lot of us uh, enjoy a morning and an afternoon coffee a lot of the time. Just one? Um, appropriate. Yeah, uh, I definitely have more than one a day, but <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't know about most sports scientists. But um, So sort of appropriate dosaging, you know, up to five milligrams, kilogram of body weight. And sometimes it's going to be combined with glucose. It can be delivered in a, in a mouth rinse form or capsules form. Um, obviously in in a coffee format, for example. But you've got to also consider, I guess, the practical um, implications potentially on sleep, um, on gut and digestion around that use of encouraging um, caffeine use. But we do know based on a sort of a theoretical model that it um, 
impacts or relates to our adenosine accumulation or reduces our adenosine accumulation, which can keep us or can make us mentally fatigued. And then we have other nutritional methods, uh, like a loading dose of creatine, interestingly, it's been shown to be beneficial to cognitive performance um, and improve our cerebral oxygenation, which can be important in that. Um, we've got some, I don't want to say left field, but more, I guess, alternative methods. So smelling of essence, which includes um, commercially available chicken essence, as a couple of studies <laughs> have been done on that, which is a bit, a bit is, interesting. Is your, is your top tip sniffing chicken? <laughs> Um, I'm not quite sure. The, it's, it's come out of, um, I think, some Asian um, country that produces it commercially. And I actually need to read more <laughs> into it <laughs> myself. But um, that's, that's one of the methods that has been shown to be, to be effective. Um, but also things um, like, you know, in, including mechanical mas- massage or mu- music preferences, um, vinyl beats or certain frequencies of music that athletes can listen to. And there's also sort of promise in um, connection to nature, so time spent in the beach or the mountains or, or those kind of restorative environments. Um, and, of course, napping, um, again, because of that adenosine relationship has sort of been shown to have some positive impacts. Um this one might be less popular with the athletes whose coaches have listened to this one, but there is also the suggestion that um, the use of social media or flicking between popular social media apps, let's just say, uh, for periods of, you know, 30, 45 minutes can actually have, there has been studies that have shown, can Im- increase our mental fatigue and have a negative subsequent impact on performance. So, it's not, you know, saying that athletes shouldn't be engaging in social media because obviously there's ethical considerations to that. There's big financial benefit that they can get from that engagement, but really setting up a structure for them that removes that demand prior to their training or competition demands might be a benefit. Um, and then when I talk about that managing concept, I guess the important thing to think about is we spend so much time in our in our preseason phase in other um, areas trying to develop capacities and capabilities and improve tolerance and and get ourselves to a state of fitness or be prepared to play right but there's sometimes little attention based on how we are cognitively prepared to play and there's a concept that's kind of been coined or termed as as brain endurance training but the, the concept of cognitively demanding yourself prior to intermittently during or, or even immediately following exercise that has kind of good potential again more research needs to be done but to be used in the pre-season phase or maybe in the rehab phase to make athletes who can't physically be outputting much but could be experiencing higher RPE once they are outputting what they can um, through that co-cognitive demand at the same time. So there is a lot of a lot of different strategies out there which which can be used, um, and it's just honestly finding the you know sort of starting with a small case study and finding those athletes that you think it can be used for and for support staff. I think. When people come to me and ask me to talk about or give them advice, it's all very well having, you know, all these strategies that they can use. But the first step is really making sure they can identify and they can educate their athletes on mental fatigue. So we have some recent data from a study that we I, I get to publish, so hot off the press, that a lot of practitioners know or think or say that they think mental fatigue has a big impact on their athletes' training and their competition performance but very few of them actually feel confident in their knowledge around the topic and also feel even less confident in applying that knowledge to be able to maximise their athlete performance. So I think it's really important that in that management or in that mitigation, the first step is really educating themselves 
um, to really know more about the topic and hopefully listening to this podcast is a good step forward for them in doing that. I hope so. And there's, there's certainly already a, a lot of ideas that have uh, been stimulated in my mind and there's certainly not the one that involves smelling chicken. But um, <laughs> um, in terms of then like an action plan, how can how can someone then start to make a, a plan with all those great little pieces of advice you've given to, to make sure that if they are feeling fatigued mentally that they can, um, yeah, impact that in a positive way? Um, and how can they do that if they if they're listening to this now and they're they're feeling fatigued already and they they need to put that into action in the next twenty or thirty minutes? Yeah, I think I mean the most acute strategy is definitely you know around use of use of caffeine and we know that's acute and it's evidence based and that will work. But I think in terms of starting a conversation with your athletes and finding a way that you can monitor their mental fatigue that's not necessarily super invasive to them or doesn't add a huge cognitive load to them. Um, But getting an understanding even through a conversation of what they find mentally fatiguing in their training and their coaching setup and try and, I guess, remove some of those stimuluses that are making them feel cognitively fatigued around the times that performance is important. Um, I think it's pretty common that athletes will report that they feel it, but it's often not necessarily well actioned because people don't necessarily feel empowered and educated to be able to do it. But I will sort of say that I think a lot of the reason or or some of the reason potentially that we don't manage it that well is that it can be quite individual in terms of how people respond to certain um, interventions or how people even respond to cognitively demanding tasks based on how cognitively demanding they feel for that individual. And Individual things can be harder or tougher and require more time for people to manage. But start with one or two athletes that you think are a good case study um, before, you know, trying to broadly apply this to everyone would be sort of where my advice would start there. Absolutely. Excellent. So, Susie, massive thanks for your hard work and wisdom today. I really appreciate it. Um, And, uh, yeah, uh, where can people find you if they're looking for more information on this? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess my primary research um, communication is through through Twitter that you could reach out to me um, and that's at Susanna underscore Russell um, or also welcome to contact me directly um, through Instagram, which is at Suze.Russell. Absolutely excellent. So Susie, massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it and uh, I look forward to hopefully doing it again soon. No, thank you for having me along and please anyone reach out um, with any questions about the topic. I love hearing practitioners who are engaged in in managing our athletes mental fatigue better so thanks for having me thank you cheers and that's it once again a massive thanks to Susie for all of her hard work on today's podcast I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too if you enjoyed today's podcast I want to pull you in the direction of the Coach Academy now the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks so if you enjoyed today's talk you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely free using the link in the show notes and there you'll find a lecture from Susie looking at mental fatigue in sport So you can do that in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be absolutely fantastic if you can give us a like, a share and a recommendation to a fellow coach, colleague or friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.